you've reached the Conservative Hippie Podcast, a common sense look at life, the universe, and everything. Here's your host, Jay Frat, the Conservative Hippie. Joe, thank you so much for joining me this morning. I know I don't have a lot of your time. Um, I appreciate you very much. I've spent most of my adult life in your district, so I've got a keen eye towards uh, the 3rd Congressional District, Southwest Washington Strong, and I just appreciate you, and I appreciate you taking the time as much as you do to speak to your district. Um, I used the word relentless on Twitter the other day. You, you seem relentless in the way that you are attacking this campaign, and I'm curious, is this an innate discipline that you were born with, like it's astrological coding, or is it something that you learned in the Army? Yeah, that's a really good question. You know, I think it's a combination of the two. Um, my parents were very hard workers, and so I, I saw that at a really young age. Just that was the example set for me. And, uh, you know, I was really involved in Boy Scouts growing up, and, and that's all about, you know, being relentless, being disciplined, a lot of personal initiative. Wrestled in high school, played football. I was never the best, um, but I always did my best to work hard, and I found that that was like, you know, the, Nowadays, everybody looks for, like the hack. And for me, I, I realized really early on that the hack was you just work really hard. <laughs> so I, I think a lot of it was probably just in my DNA from my parents. And then, uh, you know, growing up and the army is the same way. That's the great thing about the military is when you join the military, nobody really cares like what you did in high school or who your parents are. It's can you perform today? And for me, again, I was like, well, the secret to success here is just working really hard. Um, and so that's kind of been the mantra mantra of my life, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, it's just get out there and do it and do it the best that you can to the best of your abilities. Yeah, that's right. And I I see that in you. Um, The other thing that people don't recognize, it's very odd when I look out at the landscape of media and... You know, I see you doing these quick hits on Bannon and, you know, you're you're almost a rock star uh, nationally. But here in your in our in your local district where people might think that you've got D.C. consultants and, you know, lots of money, um, I see a very holistic campaign staff. How did you make those decisions when it comes to your campaign staff? Um, You know, you, you find these people that that are just these. Southwest Washington um, folks, they're young. We're not talking about, you know, power players in the political scene. You know, was there conscious decisions made by you uh, during your campaign to keep it holistic in Southwest Washington? Yeah, you know, initially being a grassroots guy, when I first started this, uh, my first campaign manager was my fiance. Uh, It was just us two because we didn't have any, we, we didn't really have any money. We couldn't hire anybody. And Ozzy, who's now our campaign manager, was our first volunteer. Um, and he had worked on a local campaign before, and he had a letter of reference as a – he wasn't even 21 at the time. Didn't even buy a beer. Uh, he had a letter of reference from uh, State Senator Ann Rivers, and we called up Ann. And she actually answered the phone, which I thought was pretty remarkable. And she said, look, I don't know who you are, but if you don't hire Ozzy, you're dumb. <laughs> I said, okay, that's, pretty, that's a pretty good recommendation. Um, so we, we couldn't pay Ozzy for the first seven or eight months. He just volunteered while he was finishing up college. And then throughout the rest of the district, I just had people who came, who I would go and I would speak with and I would ask them, Hey, would you be willing to volunteer for us? We can't, we we don't have any money to pay for you yet. Um, but I tried to pick folks that were just, you know, self-motivated self-starters and they believed in the message that I was putting out. 
And really initially, especially right after 2020, there was a lot of people that were like, hey, I, I want to get involved. I don't know exactly how to get involved, but I want to get involved. And so I was really looking for folks that had that, that genuine motivation. So honestly, you, you're right. I don't think I picked out, I, I, I didn't attract a lot of people that were, you know, longstanding political operatives at the national level or even the state or local level. I picked people that were just like, hey, things are not going well in my country and I want to do something. Yeah, it's amazing. I, I want to give a quick shout out to Kim Peterson, uh, camp, campaign yeah. manager in the northern end of your district, uh, and a and yeah. a great hugger. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> you know, as I yeah. as I've been intimate with your uh, campaign and 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 hugged uh, the appropriate people, shook hands with some of the people. I, I look around and I see kind of a wholesome nature, and what what puzzles me. Um, in our modern society, is the labels that's been thrown at you and, and the vitriol and this way that that uh, your opponents and you might say the other side has tried to paint you with some really ugly descriptions. But when I when I go to your campaign rallies and when I hear you, I would kind of describe you as a wonky type guy, an intellectual within political theory. You and I have had discussions where you could explain um, where you are as a, liber a libertarian with libertarian ideals and where you, um, where you go away from those libertarian ideals to have, you, to have your own political theory that you go by. How strange is that to be you? To, to be able to intellectualize and explain the geopolitical, the domestic policies, and yet have these broad brush labels that are very ill-conceived uh, thrown at you constantly. You know, it, it's, uh, it's kind of par for the course. I understood the media environment just watching what happened to pretty much every politician, especially any politician who's any flavor of conservative in the last 10 or 15 years. Like I was a pretty big Ron Paul, Rand Paul fan uh, after the Bushes really turned me off on mainstream Republicans and watching what they would do to Ron Paul every time you saw it. Then you saw it, especially with Trump. And that was the great thing about Trump is that he punched back. Um, so I kind of knew it was going to happen. But it, it's interesting. It, it just shows how, I mean, really our mainstream media, that's why I like doing podcasts. Anytime people ask me to come on a podcast, I come on it because you can have a longer conversation that, that's more genuine but our media is just so clickbait, and but there's a narrative they're trying to push constantly. So you know, I've had I've done multiple interviews with like the New York Times, the Washington Post, where I sit there and I'll give them an hour of my time, and we'll talk about policy, we'll talk about important stuff, and then I read the article and it's like Joe Kent uh, is an election denier and a white supremacist. <laughs> okay, well, if that's the way it is, that's the way it is. But um, really, we overcome that by getting out there and actually meeting people. That's why I've been so adamant about doing just so many in-person town halls. And, you know, there's no shortage of people who've been able to get access to me, film me, do see me on a live stream. Like, we don't edit any of that. Um, it's all just genuine. And, and I think people see through that because I think most folks right now, they're just really frustrated with the media narrative. Like, I don't think I'd still, I wouldn't be in this race if people in the district fell for that crap because I had $12 million thrown at, thrown at me in the primary alone. And people in the district, they, they heard me out. They were like, oh, that guy knocked on my door. That guy's done, that guy's always doing town halls. I've been to one. Like, so uh, it does actually give me a lot of faith in the average voter. And I think a lot of political consultants and a lot of the media, they still are uh, just so cynical and they, they underestimate 
how well informed people actually are. All right. Now you say cynicism. I I think that that's being polite. Um, it does it yeah. does seem like our society has been captured under this web of paid psychological operations. And, you know, if you yeah. go back to the Smith-Munt Act adjustment in 2012, that, that basically legalized uh, uh, psychological operations within the United States, you know, I, I explore this all the time. And, and recently, my, my explorations have kind of shown these, these large money dark pools and hedge funds, these, these, the financial interests of the world have become so so yeah. embedded in what could only be described as militarized um, psychological <laughs> operations. And I'm, I'm worried that our mainstream media, these outlets, are mainly just guns for hire now within this web of psychological operations. How do you see it? And what can we do to burst through this, this net that has been placed upon us? Yeah, I mean, I think we've uh, we have two two ways we can attack this. Number one is we got to win on Tuesday, take back the house. We'll control the budget. We can start really holding like the DHS accountable. DHS, those documents that were leaked to the Intercept, we caught them red-handed. They're colluding with you know the big tech oligarchs. They're colluding with the banks to individually target people to drive a narrative to censor speech. So we can go after them uh, from the legislative level. But then here at the, I think like your local average everyday citizen. We really need to tune out as much as we possibly can from from the mainstream media. I mean, you, it's unfortunate because you, you actually have to do a lot of work to find the truth now. But you got to go to alternate media. You can't listen to what, you know, you have to realize that the New York Times, the Washington Post, CNN, MSNBC, like these are all just narrative creation tools. They are tools of, you know, psychological operations, as, as you said. So uh, those that's going to be the big, the big push. Long term, I really want to break up big tech and then. I want to roll back a lot of the legislation. Obama, you, you cited the act in 2012, legalizing psyops in America, uh, the Patriot Act as well. Like we need to do away with these things. Yes, um, and what's ironic and what you said there was you did you did mention DHS, Department of Homeland Security, and the documents that were leaked yeah. in their role. Joe, what you're describing is fascism. You're describing the cor- corporate yeah. influence. Um, within our yeah. government and the government levers being used in our society, uh, that's fascism. It, how bizarre is it to be called a fascist when you are actually the <laughs> anti-fascist? Right, right. I mean, everything is just about gaslighting nowadays. And the left does this, the left does this really well. Whatever they're actively doing, they accuse us of, of being all the time. And fascism is a, is a great point. Fascism, authoritarianism, like that is, that is the bread and butter. They have blended the most potent tools in our society. They've, they've blended big tech. They've blended the media. They've blended the tools of the intelligence community and major banks. Like, it doesn't get more fascistic, authoritarian than that. Yet, at the same time, they'll pick some, like, well, Joe says he doesn't want uh, to issue random visas to people taking jobs for American citizens. That makes him a fascist. Like, <laughs> I mean, I, I laugh at it now because it's been going on for so long. But, like, you know, unfortunately, that narrative... It's powerful, especially with young people who consume, I think, a lot of social media and a lot of mainstream media. So you do get these kids out there that they think that they're the anti-fascists because they're doing exactly what the major corporations and the national security state tell them to do. Yeah, and we're getting to the heart of something now. 
Um, and I want to roll back and I want to go to your experience. Um, I learned something yesterday that I didn't know. Um, I knew about your experience with JSOC, 20 years uh, in the Army. Did you, ever, did you ever make it to Delta Force or was it just a Ranger? Uh, I started out in a Ranger Regiment. I was in 2nd Ranger Battalion, then I went into those Green Beret. Um, that's where I spent most of my time was at 5th Special Forces Group. And then I served uh, in JSOC at a, a specialized unit that, that kind of combines operations and intelligence. Okay. Based out of Fort and Bragg. then based out of Fort Bragg, okay, and that's that's where you might know uh, psychological operations uh, reservists like Tulsi Gabbard. So, but but then what I learned yesterday is that you served you served in the CIA in the paramilitary wing. I did, yeah. I was a paramilitary operations officer. When I retired uh, from the military after twenty years, I retired on a Friday and then swore in on a Monday at the CIA. That was going to be uh, my second career. Uh, I planned on doing that for another another twenty years or so before my wife was uh, was killed. Yeah, and, and and to your experience and the way that you can speak in an intellectual way on all these issues, that really pinged with me because what we're seeing in our modern society is almost like karma for us as a society as we've used. Um, the three-letter agencies, as we've used the power of the United States government to do these operations in other countries, these color war um, regime change revolutions that we've placed in other countries, it, it almost appears like that has come back and is being operated on on our society. And I'm trying to get at the heart of that. Is that a is that a corporate fascism that are at the letters at the levers of that, or is it our own three-letter agency? Agency. And so when you said you um, were in the CIA in this paramilitary special operations wing, I was like, wow, I've got to ask Joe about that because it seems like he would have an inside out perspective. Yeah, I mean, my, my scope was pretty limited. I did, you know, counterterrorism in, in the places that you would think we'd be doing counterterrorism, the places you would want your taxpayer dollars to be doing that type of stuff. Um, but what I, what I will say is that the folks that we recruit into the into the, the, the CIA, the FBI, um, a lot of them are coming right out of the most prestigious universities that we have in our country. And so there's already a framework laid there with these guys that it's very left-leaning. I was an exception. The paramilitaries are, are all recruited right out of special operations to do a very specific task. So we're kind of, we're a little bit of outsiders, kind of black sheep in that, in that family, but we still go through the same training um, as a CIA. So at, at the core, I was a CIA operations officer, the same as Everybody else went to the farm, all that. So I, I understand where these guys are, are kind of coming from. And it's a very D.C.-centric mentality. It's the same thing of our generals. Like, they may have come in the military as a, a sergeant or a you know, private or a lieutenant. Um, but over the over time, they, they morph into these politicians. And that happens in the CIA and that happens in the FBI, I think, relatively quickly. But you're also recruiting from such a left-leaning pool that, like, there's been this hybrid, um, I'd say this hybrid model of, like you said, the color revolutions blending in with, and is, is this all orchestrated by like the CIA and the State Department, and, or is it the major corporations? I think that we've really blurred that area between the major corporations and the tools of the state. And we see that here in our country, but we really we see that overseas as well. Yeah, and it's a, it's a scary thing. Um, and that also blends with modern tools where um, through these tech companies and through data collection, um, they know us, or the uh, the system knows us almost better than we know ourselves, and then they can deploy these 
um, bot-like uh, artificial intelligence systems to almost capture us within our social bubbles and direct us and or influence us. Um, have you considered um, an internet bill of rights, IBOR, and where that, where that is placed within your platform? Yeah, I've looked at a couple of different um, internet bill of rights, and I think they all, the ones I've read anyways, at, at least, they seem like a good starting point. I mean, for me, I really want to break up big tech, and then something like an internet bill of rights I think would be a good a good way to go forward, you know, make the internet more of a public utility than a, uh, something that's controlled by a handful of technocrats. I think that would be a really good first step, a big, a big muscle movement to be sure, but a good first step towards uh, us having true free speech and not being tracked and you know monetized by just you know again a handful of tech companies yeah yeah um where are you headed off to today sir so i'm actually coming back up to lewis county i'm going to be in uh chehalis at a church this morning around 10 and then i will be uh in chehalis for a town hall at three gonna do some door knocking and some sign with in between and how how has the campaign affected your family. I noticed that your children aren't on the campaign trail with you when I've seen you. Um, you know, how, how do you navigate this as a single parent? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty fortunate. I'm engaged. I've met an amazing woman uh, about a year after my late wife was killed. And, uh, she's She and the boys have really bonded really well. So the only reason I can even pull this off is because she's in our lives. Um, so I, I kind of, the boys are five and seven. And so I I take them every now and again to campaign events, but uh, I, I tend to keep them away just because it's a lot of time in the car. They, you know, they, they're much better off in, in school at wrestling. I'm lucky because my I live kind of like right smack dab in the middle of the district, so I'm, I'm most mornings I'm with them to get them to school to hang out with them for a little bit, and then most evenings I can make it home at least to pick them up from school before I got to run off to another event uh, or to put them to bed. So. I mean, compared to like the, the military life they were sort of born into, this is, uh, I'd say, similar. This might even be a little bit better than the, the constant back and forth of being military kids. Now, one thing that always impresses me about you, um, I, I see other politicians and, and they might have uh, tangential stories. And um, early in the campaign, they led with their with their story, uh, their heartfelt story. And still now, as the campaign winds down, they lead with their heartfelt story. Um, Joe, you rarely mention your heartfelt story. You you stick to you stick to almost that, like I said, that wonky nature, that that policy driven nature. You are a gold star husband. How how does that um, when we talk about this polarization of politics, and I call it the gamification, where you know in 2016 they trotted out this gold star father, um, and 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 he was highly politicized, and yet they said, "Oh, you can't say anything about this gold star father," it, because it was their it was right. their gold star father. You know, do you, do you ever take pause um, to see yourself in a victim stance in some ways to say, "Hey"? I'm a gold star husband. Where is this? I served my country for 20 years. Where is this respect that, that you all uh, hold to this highest level? Where is it for me? Yeah, I mean, again, I, I kind of recognize the political <laughs> the political environment. Uh, I will call out my opponents. I mean, Marie, my, my Democrat opponent, she has this, she's trying to make it out that she's this big working class person. And I'm some sort of like a white collar elite guy because I work in tech now, uh, which is kind of funny because I'm, you know, what I, what I did before in my past life. So I'll, I'll bring it up in that context. 
you know, and especially when, um, especially right now when there's so many war hawks uh, about the Ukraine war, I really like to point out that most war hawks have never heard a shot fired in anger in their entire life. They'll never go to, they probably don't even know anybody in the military. They think that someone else will go do the fighting for them. So I do like to point it out that, uh, that hey, you, unless you've had real skin in the game, like maybe kind of curb your enthusiasm for the next round of carnage. Um, but in, in general, you know, like it, early on in the campaign, I, I think people needed to know where I was coming from and what's in my heart. Um, but really at the end of the day, politicians with, with stories and anecdotes, I think those are nice for a, for a minute or two, but we got to hear what your, your understanding of the issues are. We get, people need to hear, Hey, like I, I actually have thought about this stuff and I, I real I have real policies because this is a job interview. You can like me as a person and I hope people like me as a person because uh, that's definitely part of politics. But at the end of the day, like I, I do like to focus on, Hey, here's what's happening in our country right now. And, and here's how I'm going to work to fix it. Cause I think really that's, that's what's critical to the voters. Yes, absolutely. It should be you know, in, in this, in this, the gamification of politics, it seems like the, um, the salacious and the hyperbolic has become uh, what's put out in advance. In other words, it, that becomes the meat and potatoes versus what used to be the meat and potatoes of the policy. It's become it's become everything in our in our political discourse, and that's why I appreciate you so much uh, because you can just ra- you can go and go and go on policy, um, and it's amazing. Um, uh, what what is your astrological star sign? Oh, I don't know. I think I'm an Aries. April, April 11th is my birthday, so I believe Aries. Okay, okay. Uh, you, I, I haven't been asked that question in a you, long you, time. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm trying to get to the heart of this discipline. And what, what I find amazing is I'd like to know um, when your wife uh, died in action, I, I looked it up, and it, it wasn't very long between that and your transition to running for Congress. And at the heart of your personality is this discipline and this drive and this relentless um, personality. Did you allow yourself time to heal? Yeah, I mean, that's a (laughs) that's a good question. I for me, the healing process uh, really involved, you know, obviously taking care of my kids, making sure everything was in order. Um, But for me, it was like moving forward. Like I can sit here. And, I, and there's no one right way to grieve. So I think other people do it differently. But for me, it was like, well, I can sit here and I can be very, very sad about this. And this could be the thing that defines us for the rest of our lives. Or I can take her, her death, especially the way that she was killed, the way that the administrative state really left her and her, her comrades, the other three Americans she was killed with, the way they left them hanging out to dry as a political football. And I can, I can go do something about it, you know. And, and I had a series of events getting to meet Trump at Dover, um, and then working on the Trump 2020 campaign where, you know, it, it kind of called me to this position where it's like, I can, I can't, if I sit here and dwell, I am going to miss the opportunity to tell people why she died and why she didn't have to die. And this paints a broader picture of how flawed our foreign policy has been, how flawed our, our national security state, our so-called adults in the room, just how wrong these people have been. So, you know, I, I mean, I, I think grief is kind of like it's uh, it's definitely an ongoing thing. So she's always uh, she's always on my mind when I'm when I'm campaigning and, and trying to trying to make the country uh, worthy of the sacrifice that she she laid down. Yeah, well, I, I appreciate that, and I just. I was curious, and that's why I suspected was uh, you kind of poured that into the next mission, and 
I suspect you'll always have the next mission in your life, no matter no matter where you're at and whatever station, as though there will always be a relentlessness uh, about you. Um, and I appreciate that, that you want to uh, save our country and save the world. I'm, uh, we, are, we are meeting in this odd way, um, and we are on same mission. And, and I hope that we can get to the point where our society can see things from clear glasses and start making better um, choices within their political sense. And, and it does, I think the, the big advice you gave was to tune out uh, media. Uh, you, didn't, uh, you didn't say Fox News, but I would also include Fox News to tune out. Or to have, or yeah. to have the skill to tune in everything yeah. and then see the data and see the clear because when you can when you can see both sides and you can see what's coming at you so often you can read between the lines and you can get a good picture like you know uh, there yeah. the fog of war or the confusion of psychological operations you can see it's this isn't um this isn't rocket science, you know, trying to understand theoretical physics. It's, it, <laughs> exactly. You exactly. can read between the lines. Um, and, and here you are yeah. two days away from the end of the official end and the official counting of your campaign. I really appreciate you taking the time. Um, what does it feel like to, to, to be this relentless campaigner, to be only 48 hours away from the time you know they're going to count, they're going to add it up, and you will be uh, uh, on your next mission, whatever that is. Yeah, it, it's kind of surreal because we've been doing this campaign for so long. I mean, we started in February of 21. So um, Tuesday will be interesting because that's kind of when we stop and we, we it's all out of our hands at that point, like we've left it all in the field. So we're just trying to do as many events as possible, knock as many doors. Um, I, I do feel like we've uh we've ran a really like you said relentless campaign so you know it, it's uh it's all kind of it's all in the voters hands right now um which is fine which is exactly where i want it to be so yeah we'll uh we'll just have to see what happens on on tuesday and then it's on to the next thing although i think it's going to take probably about a, a week or so to count the votes because of uh because of washington state that's just unfortunately how we do things but uh you know, I'm proud of the campaign we've ran. I'm, I'm excited for all the relationships that we've, we've built uh, throughout this entire process. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic going into Tuesday. That's awesome. That's awesome. And I have seen a tonal change um, from possibly this summer and small crowds and, you know, just a, a really steely-eyed focus. I've seen a little bit yeah. of that optimism come through in the eyes and the facial expressions of uh, people in your campaign here recently in the fall. Um, and so, you know, it is, uh, I'm hopeful as well, Joe, and I just wanted to thank you um, for your service. And, and I don't, mean, I don't you. mean your army service. What I mean is you stepping up and serving now as a civilian in the bureaucratic system. It's important that we have people that have good intentions volunteer at this time in our bureaucratic system. And I view that as a method of service. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's, it's my honor, man. I, I, I appreciate you having me on your show. All right. Well, on with you. On with, on with the next event. Thank you so much again for, <laughs> for, for sharing your time with me. I, I hope the discussion was unique for you. And, uh, my fingers are crossed. I'll be at an election night party watching keenly um, Southwest Washington 3rd Congressional District uh, outcome. 
Beautiful, man. Now looking looking forward to seeing you soon. Thank you. We love you, Jay. The dude is all right. It's all about community. Come join us. You can hit me up on Twitter and Telegram at jfrat. Join the Indecent Disclosure channel on Telegram if you want to join the Hanging with Hippie sessions. And of course, as always, if you want to support this podcast and support your smoking lifestyle, go to SmokinJays.com and use coupon code HIPPIE, H-I-P-P-I-E, for 15% off at checkout. Yes.